0: The importance of a face-to-face or video consult is also reiterated in the literature, which indicates that the medium of communication appears to improve the development of trust. Those receiving face-to-face care regained less weight than those engaged in web-based form. That's double. Look, 2.5 kilograms versus 4.7. When you can get in front of somebody and you're a part of their life, success is better. All right, so this is the fourth, even though it says seventh. Uh, this is the fourth in the micro series inside of the macro series diet efficacy. I started talking about diet efficacy because I wanted to pull together a couple different tangents that normally we talk about individually. You know, what really works? What kind of diet methodology? What kind of practices? What kind of even just basic nutrition down to the macronutrient level do we need? And so I wanted to create kind of a series on that. And in the middle is when the um, AUT, Auckland University of Technology uh, released their two studies that two of their graduate students had done using our company, the Diadoc as the base to test some things that were uh, you know, new questions as, as you'll kind of see. Um, And and it really dovetailed really well with with what we're talking about. So I have now done, this will be the fourth discussion research review on these two studies. So we looked at the qualitative and quantitative parts of both of these studies. This particular one is, um, they both were looking at, one of them looked at the client perspective. One of them looked at the coach perspective Of What does it take to succeed? What was the experience? So remember, in our 25 ish years of coaching at the diet doc, uh, we pioneered what is personal nutrition coaching, or what will probably become known as personal nutrition coaching, just like you have personal training. And in that 25-year span, there were a couple major pivots that you could isolate, even though it was a, a blended process. And going back, especially if you're not seeing the first three in this little micro part of the series, because the American Dietetics Associate at the time had had successfully blocked at every state legislature level any ability for anybody except them to do nutrition coaching, it just didn't exist. So along come us and we hire a medical director, a dietetics director. We start licensing. We have an intellectual property attorney who makes sure we're doing everything right. And so we create this path into nutrition coaching for a lot of people. And that goes on for about 10 or 15 years and all of a sudden, almost like a the better theory of evolution, instead of one single phylogenetic tree that gave birth to everything, it's more like grass in the field. Like all of a sudden these shoots start popping up everywhere. And so uh, over the next 10 years or so, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people now call themselves nutrition coaches. And it's a real thing. Uh, Just by sheer possession being nine-tenths of the law, and I would argue logic. Nobody's really complaining. Matter of fact, state legislatures have softened the language. And so nutrition coaches now have a viable path forward. But as uh, uh, Rosemary and Ariel, these two researchers at AUT, pointed out, uh, there's just no research, like nobody knows what's happening. Nobody knows if these people are doing good work, or better work, worse, like like what is really happening? So they wanted to dive into that. And we allowed our database of clients and coaches to be available to them to do surveys and interviews. So they took that more than a year ago and ran with it. As I've said in each of these four sessions, as a disclaimer in true research fa- fashion with ethics review boards and rules and so forth, we have no idea who talked to who. We don't know who responded. We were just not part of this whatsoever, and, and I will never know, um, but it it does give a really good insight into some of their questions that they wanted to, to juxtapose and to just just enlighten through. And this one is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually go through a little bit of a review from last week, because I think it's important for you to at least have a refresher on what the uh, more more quantitative parts of of this study were. So first of all, the, the name itself, the qualities of successful online nutrition coaches for weight loss maintenance. Weight loss maintenance, meaning that these are people who lost weight up to 10% or more of their body weight and kept it off for at least a year. And so they were looking at what are the successful traits of those clients or the experience and then also of the coaches. So this particular study was uh, especially relating to uh, the coach's perspective. That's important. And I'm going to remind you of it often because this is not, especially on the qualitative side, which we're looking at this week. It is, um, it, it is, th- there wasn't empirical research. They weren't saying, Hey, here was exactly what we found. There was some of that on the quantitative stuff last week, but this is what, what are the coaches own perceptions? So, so let's, let's do just a little bit of a review. Um, the, the, I actually wrote that wrong. This should be a quantitative quick review of part four or part six. I'm sorry, the quantitative. So dieters less likely to regain weight when working with a qualified professional. That's known in the literature. And I'm going to give you some stats on that coming up. So uh, anybody who wants to lose weight, obviously they can. You can just eat less. You can move more. You can go buy a book. You can join a gym. You can do anything. But if you seek out... A specific weight loss professional of some sort, research already shows that you have a, a greater chance of, of success if you do that. So what about this new category? I say new, it's 20, 25 years old, but new to the mainstream of a personal nutrition coach. How do online nutrition coaches stack up? So the surveys that we looked at last week there were 14, which is a very small number, but this is graduate student work, and they just couldn't keep pelting our database and asking you know, for more and more and more. They just had to eventually kind of run with what they had. All of the people who signed up for the interview, so there was a survey process, and then you could also be interviewed, which would be by these researchers, 45 to 60-minute interviews, and six actually signed up for that. A couple of them did not meet the qualifications. One missed the appointment. So they ended up with three. These three were all actually National Academy of Metabolic Science certified, which was part of the pool. That's an organization that I started and I write the curriculum for. And I personally do exam prep and and grade the exams, the case studies, that sort of thing. So that is an extension of our company, The Diet Doc, but just, just to open it up so they had enough people to, to to draw from, it ended up with these three who participated in the interviews. They were all three NAM certified. One was a licensed diet doc clinician, and um, uh, they all ended up, all three were female between the ages of 30 and 65, so you can... You can discern that one was 30 years old, one was 65, and the other one was somewhere in the middle. Uh, they all had up to three years of experience as nutrition coaches and 10 years as trainers. So they were already in the fitness industry. Um, let's go on here. So this, th- 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 these are review slides from last week. So this goes back to the survey, just to give you an example of who they were talking to. So when they were asking the coaches because again, those were coaches, those are those three people, those three women were actual coaches. And then the other 14 who just completed the surveys, also diet doc clinicians, or, um, you know, NAM certified coaches, Uh, when they were asked, what percentage of your clients, just a direct subjective question, what percentage of your clients do you think after one year are maintaining their weight loss. They were so successful in their work with you that they're going on and they are highly successful. Whether those coaches know this or not, uh, you can see that the data skews very, very high. Uh, only one person said, yeah, nobody, nobody succeeds. I'm a train wreck. I shouldn't even be a coach. None of my clients have ever succeeded. One person in that you know, had to say something like that because they said nobody. Um, What about 10% of your clients? Did you think 10% of your clients are succeeding? One coach said that. How about 50%? Three coaches said that. Then Remember, statistically, in all of the data, in a meta-analysis of all the research, about 50% of people regain all of their weight within one year. So now we're getting into the ballpark of reality because at the end of two years, that drops to 20%. So these five coaches, three who said that they think half of their people are succeeding in, in long-term success, two thought 10% or less, like they're kind of in the ballpark. Like that, that's real life stuff. Maybe as a as a personal nutrition coach, primarily working online, maybe you're beating those odds. We would hope so. That's certainly why I license, certify and mentor coaches. But you see, you would have to 60%, 70%, 75%, and 80%. And all of a sudden, these coaches are getting pretty confident. They're like, yeah, man, all, all, of, my, all of my clients are succeeding. 75% are succeeding. 80% are succeeding. So keep that in mind that that's the coach's perception. Because then we're going to talk about some deeper things that, that emerged from the qualitative and quantitative research. Uh, the education varies, but there was one of these coaches out of the 14 surveyed who was a high school graduate. Um, eight of them had um, you know an associate's degree or diploma. Nine of them had a bachelor's degree, three had masters, one had a PhD. So pretty pretty spread out. I think that actually looks like a really strong bell curve. Um, out of those, 14, Ah, uh, two considered themselves personal trainers. I work in a gym or a studio, and that's my primary job. Plus, I do nutrition coaching. Five of them consider themselves just one hundred percent online nutrition coaches. Two branch out a little bit and call themselves health coaches because they probably do a little bit more. maybe maybe they combine fitness as well as nutrition and lifestyle or behavioral work. And then five people, um, said, you know, they, they don't do anything in the fitness background. They're still online nutrition coaches, but these five people would have a different full-time job. Like I'm a banker by day or a school teacher or an engineer, but I love this industry. I love this sport. And so I've gotten all these certifications and I do this on the side, uh, which interestingly, I'll show you in a little bit, like that's a, that's a strong group, that group particularly does very well, uh, the more specialized certifications they have, even if they don't have specific nutrition or fitness education formally. So this now gets into what we're going to talk about today, as soon as we get through the the review. When these coaches were asked, besides nutrition, what else do you cover in your pedagogical approach when, when you're... From A to Z, creating this, this plan for clients, your coaching process, what all do you cover? Uh, you see the never, not often, sometimes, then frequently, and always kind of a Likert scale there. And the vast majority do cover fitness work, training of some sort, uh, even at a higher level. Um, well, maybe not. Maybe, maybe it kind of averages out. They talk about mindfulness, which would be behavioral stuff. Uh, psychology and mindfulness are probably kind of two peas in the same pod, but they broke those up. Maybe, maybe psychology people would actually perceive that as something a little bit more formal. Uh, and then goal setting also very strong sleep and stress management that goes into wellness in general, perhaps even mindfulness, but look, look how far that heavily tilts toward the average online nutrition consultant covering all of those things. Uh, Again, that's going to come up as very important when we talk about some of the specific research we're covering today. Uh, As is this, this is another important key. This is why I wanted to include some of this in the review this week. Uh, Frequency of check-ins, like you as a coach, how often are you communicating with your your clients? Daily was one of the 14, a couple times a week was one, and then weekly was 12, And I mentioned in our last research review, covering the first half of this study, that's kind of the old school beginning methodology. Like when I owned a fitness facility and I was a science editor for a magazine publishing group, and I was just accidentally creating this field of online personal nutrition coaching, because in my local facility, as well as online, people were hiring me and it just was I don't want to say it was just completely serendipity because obviously once that starts happening, you have to respond. Am I going to do this as a business model or not? And clearly, because early in my career, I started creating formal plans for people sitting in my office, doing nutrition programming. I wrote a book on nutrition specifically you know, for clients, I, I had this entire process set up. So when email started, because email literally began after this program was in place by me 25 to 27 years ago, then it was simply a new avenue to do it online. Now, all of a sudden, I could work with clients across the country and across the world. So all of that, the fact that Email was still like dial-up modem. everybody had like AOL or Netscape email addresses and you would check it like once a week or something. you know that's that's where either the obstacle or challenge of seeing clients in person locally or with that kind of a platform to reach outside of a local environment weekly was kind of the norm. I mean that was what I would do. I would do weekly check-ins oddly, as you can see, the majority of coaches still do that because that just kind of trickled downhill as a methodology, even though that's completely not what we do now. You know, my clients now hear from me virtually every day, Monday through Friday, we have live support chats like we're doing today. So you would count me up there in that daily level where that's how much communication we can have with clients. And I think that's way more important now and not to give away the whole punchline for the day, but you're going to see a substantial change just with that one metric. Um, so, as I said, I'm not going to get too much into this, but education was really interesting in that uh, the more education a coach had, like somebody, oh, I've got a master's degree in biochemistry or nutrition. Those coaches tended to think their clients did better. So they were almost, and maybe they did, maybe they did, but they're at least projecting that as confidence that, Hey, I, I've, I went to school for this. I know what I'm doing. Of course, my clients are doing better. And as I said, I I hope they did, but this being a study on the perceptions of coaches, that is different than the reality. And I, and, and that was an interesting thing that Ariel wanted to do with this. You know, what kind of coaches are being, Pulled into this industry, how educated are they? How certified? How, you know, how effective are they? What do they do? Which is what we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about. So let's get back into um, let's get back into to, to, to what we want to talk about here today. I've already kind of gone through this. Okay, so now this is the qualitative analysis. So we're gonna we're gonna look at these deep deep interviews that the researcher ariel did with these three practitioners and as i did throughout this whole four-part series i pulled some quotes directly from the research from the coaches themselves because i think it really does show their attitudes but participants in the survey indicated that frequent interactions and a holistic approach to weight loss coaching were common practices among coaches with higher client weight loss success rates These findings aligned with the current literature on weight loss maintenance, warranting further qualitative exploration of client practitioner relationships or practitioner beliefs among successful online coaches. So the literature, the entire just database of research already done on nutrition coaching in general, outside of this kind of new category of personal online nutrition coaches, we already understood that the more frequent the contact and the more holistic approach so you're talking about those mindset issues and sleep and fitness and so forth it's it's beyond just a meal plan it's beyond just static nutrition those people do better so now we're going to take that data that model that we know exists and see how it stands up with this new field, this new occupational field of personal online nutrition coaches. So these are some quotes, uh, as I'll read here, uh, building that relationship, letting them know that they can trust me, that they can trust me with whatever it is that's either in their journey or in their lives. That was from one of the coaches. If they don't trust you, they don't believe what you're offering. You're not going to adhere It was also noted by the participants that showing genuine care and interest in clients journeys was important. That, that big care piece is really what makes the most difference being caring, having some empathy for things in their life. Um, (laughs) I think most of you are going to say, yeah, that makes sense. Like if I'm working, if it's my primary care physician, my dentist, my accountant, whoever I'm dealing with, like if I feel like I have a relationship where I can talk to that person I'm probably going to do better at what our joint goal is. At least that's, that's what we would think as end users, as clients or customers of anything, but these coaches themselves from their perception, here's the good thing with the people that were interviewed, they all very excitedly say that's an important part of this process. Now, three people don't represent the entire world or the entire industry, but it's good to see at least some people, three out of three here, say that is the most important thing. I need this personal connection with my clients to make sure that we're on the same page and that they're going to enjoy this process and want to stay uh, until the end and, and reach their goals. The big care piece, that's what really makes a difference. Being caring, I already did that. The importance of a personalized client practitioner relationship was also highlighted with all participants indicating that the initial consult was key to building the relationship. I always have a Zoom meeting with them so they know the person behind the screen and I explain the program to them. I always explain the why uh, they're doing something. Transparency, that that transparency, that here's a human that. Is on the other side of the screen, not just the macro police. I like that that saying, the macro police. But again, you know, talking about just personal connection, building rapport. So n- now we're going to talk about their support methods because this researcher looked at, she, after the interviews. She was able to say, "Wow, there are a couple of emerging categories, a small handful of categories that are." obvious points, like all of these coaches are mentioning the same thing, the 14 in the surveys plus the three in the interviews. And so all clients indicated that formal check-ins were done once a week, but the clients could contact their coach throughout the week with questions or any issues. I have several clients that walk that, that talk on WhatsApp or texting or email me at any time. I pretty much make myself available whenever I can. If they send me an email that may be in panic mode about something, sometimes I'll just say, hey, let's jump on a phone call. The coaches interviewed all had similar approaches to to the weekly check-ins with their clients. Aspects that were often addressed in such check-ins were progress photos, weight measurement, food logs. However, coaches interviewed also highlighted the importance of biofeedback, how the clients were feeling and their wins for the week. Another thing I see pop up a lot on intake forms and progress reports. So look, let me let me stop for a second because this is kind of important. I, as I mentor coaches, especially on how to conduct themselves as a business, this is one of my key points as a differentiator. If you are a solo coach and you have 100 clients or 200 clients, the amount of time that you have to just say, hey, text me anytime you want. Oh, by the way, let's just jump on a phone call right now and you're responding to messages at midnight on Sunday or something like that's just going to be unreasonable. I'm not even sure it's good. As a matter of fact, in one of the first parts of this study, they showed it was in Rosemary's study that there's kind of a bell curve. And when you make yourself too available and you have the most conversations with a client, they actually do the worst. So there is a part of enabling and codependency that then starts sliding down the other side of that bell curve and you're no longer doing what's in the best interest of your client, or you as a client, you're no longer doing what's in your own best interest by bugging the shit out of your coach and not trying to figure some things out on your own. So again, it's a partnership. There are two responsibilities there and both client and coach have to have a reciprocal professional relationship but that is definitely rooted in high contact and communication. So these particular coaches, like I I can understand that what they believe they're doing is the right thing. And I have even counseled beginning coaches to say, look, you are competing in the marketplace for clients against people who are making millions of dollars, who have dozens of coaches who work for them. It's incredibly systematic and it's almost like the corporate grind, you're the speedy little nimble boat who can outmaneuver these big cruise ship enterprises of nutrition coaching for you to be available, for you to have more communication, like that's your in. You take care of clients better and I guarantee you're going to build a good business. With the caveat, don't do things that are so unreasonable that you paint yourself into a corner and you create this semblance of codependency where now your clients never even learn to figure things out for themselves. They never learn to deal with adversity or challenge. It's the whole helicopter or bulldozer parents kind of mentality. So keep that in mind um, because again, high support wins, but there is a point where it's too much. Uh, I wanna know about sleep, I wanna know about stressors, whatever else is going on in their lives, that's perfect. Similarly, one coach also mentioned they even asked clients if they encountered any barriers during the week, any challenges that I can help navigate. I use language like that a lot. If I have clients that aren't extremely talkative and they're not asking a lot of questions, I'll, I'll definitely ask questions like that. Like, hey, how can I help this week? What are we going to work on? What's, what are we going to really focus on this week? And I try and pull them into that engagement. The coaches all indicated that they respond to weekly check-ins and reports with video responses or Zoom calls. That's relatively new in the last couple of years. When I first started sending clients some video messages, it freaked some people out. It's like, Oh my gosh, thanks so much. Like you, you took the time to respond with a video and a, it, it, you know, ironically, it's not like it takes any more time. You know, if if you have the application right there on your email or use some other form um, but Anybody who started adopting that, we immediately recognized it was a much more personal approach. Mirror neurons in your brain, communication, voice inflection, you know, all those things that increase communication, even if it's not a one-on-one chat, it's just a video message. Like there is a greater depth to that. Uh, They will send me documents from their week. I review all of that. And then I'll review in video format. Again, pretty new, but also now pretty common. It just adds that extra dimension of connection. Then from a holistic approach, the participants all had holistic approaches when asked uh, all the domains that they discuss with clients. None of the participants indicated that they only provide nutrition guidance uh, as all participants address other domains such as training, mindfulness, sleep, and stress. I always talk about short-term and long-term goals. This is this is specifically something that Ariel picked out that, that coaches, at least these, all seem to have some... Um, methodology to create short long-term goals. Uh, I have a path in which I think we can get them toward their goals. I do not, I, I do try to have those weekly steps that get them toward their ultimate goal. So whether it's a step count or daily devotional or anything like that, one such coach noted that they avoid setting too large of weight loss goals with their clients, but instead focus on how they feel each week and on their weekly measurable progress. So taking those larger goals and breaking them down into, Hey, how are we doing this week? And I don't want to get into like a coaching principle kind of discussion, but for the sake of just this one little section that, that is supported by research. Uh, We talked about last week that there's kind of a shelf life for dieters that anybody that has long-term goals, when you start reaching the six to eight mark, eight month mark, uh, progress kind of starts to plateau and wane a little bit. And so if you have this, and and I've had clients who've lost 100, 150 pounds, it takes a year, 18 months, two years. And you definitely have to have not just smaller goals and targets along the way, but you have to have breaks and you have to have times where you're focusing on different things. You know, very, very, very important. But goal setting, again, was at least part of what these coaches said were important to them. So once again, this whole study is about the coach's perspective and what the coach thinks they are good at and what the coach thinks client needs and how the coach feels that their clients are progressing or why they have success. So this study explored online coaches' uh, perceptions of successful client practitioner relationships and their beliefs about what leads to, I guess I just said all this, to successful weight loss and weight loss maintenance among clients. The were, hypotheses were that these coaches would emphasize high-quality frequent contact with their clients and implement a small-change approach to goal-setting and attainment. These hypotheses were supported. However, the participants also noted other aspects of their practice which may be of importance. Specifically, they noted the importance of developing rapport, adequate support, taking a holistic approach, and appropriate goal setting in, in their client's journey. So that was something, you know, we always like in research, at least people who review it to pick out like, here here was the hypothesis, we're doing this study for this reason, here's what we think we're going to find out. And sometimes it's good enough for a study to say, yes, we confirmed that. That's what we thought we'd find. Maybe that's what we hoped we f- would find. And that happened. So now we have a study that has a certain methodology. You can, you can compartmentalize it in this category. And it's a check mark that verifies at least in one part w- what you would expect to see. And, you know, pick your topic, pick your field of interest. But once in a while, you're surprised. You find out new things. You you may discover a circumstance or a nuance that completely doesn't do that, that actually supports the opposite conclusion. And so maybe you start finding that, well, this is kind of the, the bullseye in the set of circumstances where this happens, but if this particular population or under this circumstance, then it doesn't. And so all that becomes important. Now you're broadening your understanding of a topic. So what Ariel was doing was, first of all, looking at, okay, there's this entire new field of personal online nutrition coaches. Let's see what they're doing. Let's see if we can discern any measurable difference in the results. Let's see what they think about what they're doing. And some of these things lined up exactly with her hypothesis, which she said that they would emphasize high quality frequent contact, just that's that's a process-oriented thing, and they would implement these small changes, like that's kind of goal setting one-on-one. But then what kind of surprised Ariel was, wow, these coaches went deep. Like they're talking about their personal lives and sleep. And are you doing this? And I want you to call me anytime. We'll jump on the phone. Like they were like, geez, like you don't get that with registered dietitians from a hospital. You don't get that from Weight Watchers. You don't get that from these other places. Like there was really something here um, but the current study further investigated the coaches' perceptions of their interactions and their roles of supporting encouraging these factors within the coaching relationships. Um, the, the importance of a face-to-face video. So, so here's something that, that kind of changes the game a little bit, or at least it, it verifies something in a way that adds some analysis that should make you stand up and take notice. The importance of a face-to-face or video consult. Is also reiterated in the literature, which indicates that the medium of communication appears to improve the development of trust. In a study by Wing et al., those receiving face to face care regained less weight than those engaged in web based form. And that's a double. That's double. Look, 2.5 kilograms versus 4.7. And I- I'm telling you, I discuss this a lot with coaches. And that's why with all of the people I mentor for how they're going to create a business model, I know some people think it's amazing just to be able to sit on your couch behind a keyboard and reach people around the world. But I have seen this personally for decades that when you can get in front of somebody and you're a part of their life for real, you're sitting in the same room talking to them, success is better. Uh, I just had coffee this morning with somebody that I just met. He saw some results of one of my clients. A, a client of mine posted on social media, like, Hey, I just worked with Joe and here's my results. I lost all this weight. I feel great. It's amazing. And all of a sudden, you know, my Facebook messaging platform was just blowing up because now all this guy's friends are messaging me. And one, like I said, wanted to go out today. And, and instead of just inquiring digitally, instead of him saying, Hey, Joe, I want to work with you too. Or, Hey, Joe, do you think you can help me? He said, Hey, Joe let me buy you a cup of coffee. And we sat across a table for an hour. And now this guy not only wants to work with me, he wants me to come speak at his rotary group twice by the end of the year. He already is introducing me in person to other people in this coffee place. Like that's what happens with real life relationship, real life communication, you know, in, in the same space with people. So if you're a coach watching this, just take heart of that. If you are a dieter or client of coaches, you know, it, it could be important, you know, ask for ways to connect a little bit more deeply. Maybe, maybe you do need to make sure that you can, can get more face time with somebody, even if it is through a screen, um, you know, just some better connection. I think that always helps. Matter of fact, you know, two times as much as how much it helps. Indeed, in a case, in a study by Coates et al., the only group that showed a significant decrease in and subjective maintenance of their weight loss after six months was the group that received daily contact rather than weekly, as a percentage of overweight participants in this group dropped from 37% to 29. More so establishing open communication between check-ins is also noted in the literature to further improve the client-practitioner relationship. As the clients perceive Uh, the practitioner is approachable and supportive. So if you guys looked on my social media tape, just explaining what we're going to discuss, I said there are two critical things that can double your progress and then long-term even improve your viability by 20%. What are those two things? Frequent communication, daily instead of weekly, being able to reach out, have your questions answered, being able to feel like your coach is, is open and approachable, and then also being able to have some kind of face-to-face communication. Um, I I hate for that to sound like a limiting factor because I myself have clients all around the world that I may not be able to see face-to-face, but that's why we have three time a week live support chats where we can get together on chats like this, video chats. But I also have to say the reason I myself have a physical space where I can interact with my local clients in person is because I know that is what makes the biggest difference. So this, this person I was having coffee with this morning, as we were discussing, you know, life in our city, you know, he as a business owner, me as a business owner, what do we do and, um, you know, how can we help each other and, and just what, what is life like? Um, you know, living in the same community. And I said, okay, because, because he knows I have a space here on main street and I'm getting ready to move to a better physical location for us. And he said, man, um, but don't you like main street? I mean, doesn't that help you with more visibility? Like people can walk in and see you and blah, blah, blah. And I said, you know, the people who succeed the best as clients of a personal nutrition coach, especially as I would consider myself more of a holistic health coach, they're not looking for just the next thing. If they want to join Planet Fitness for 10 bucks a month, they, they could have already done that. If they want to join another local gym for 30 bucks a month, they could already do that. If they wanted to just diet on their own or join Weight Watchers, they could do that. The people who come to see me, especially because of our reputation, they know it's a big deal. They they need to carve out the space in their life. They're gonna come in physically and train with us, they're gonna. They're going to engage. And so, no, like I, I, it doesn't really help me to have a high volume of walk-in traffic. What helps is a meeting like this where I get to sit down and talk to somebody and explain it. So now you are going to go tell your friends uh, of what this is like, what Joe does, what the diet doc does, or insert your own company name if you're a coach and that's your reputation. This is serious stuff. It's high touch. It's high communication. It's high frequency. It involves more than nutrition. If you want the best possible results, you need to be ready for something that is that in depth. And you know, as, as we look at the practical implications of aerial study, I think you'll see that's what makes it worthwhile for both the coach and the client. After this entire 60 or 70 page study, uh, her final notes are the client practitioner relationship should be emphasized with a focus on developing rapport through high quality personalized face-to-face contact. Practitioners should focus on frequent communication and interaction with clients to develop open communication and trust. Practitioners should employ a holistic approach to weight loss, taking into account sleep, stress management, mindfulness, and psychology, and goal-setting approaches rather than focusing solely on nutrition, guidance, and physical activity. Acceptance-based approaches to coaching may improve long-term adherence and ultimately weight loss maintenance outcomes. Pursuing nutrition-specific rather than general education may be important to help coaches improve their ability to help clients over time. That last little note was something we didn't talk about today. It was more in our last one. Um, but clients who really do spend a lot of time on personal education, certifications, nutrition, curriculum, and that sort of thing, when they were tested for actual competence, they outscore everybody by a mile, meaning there's really something to it. You know, when it comes to the metabolic sciences, physiology, nutrition, you have to have at least a certain level of competency or you're not doing your clients any good. So, you know, that was just kind of an aside, an important one, but an aside. So um I I don't I don't want to leave you guys thinking that it's kind of this way or the highway, as Ariel just noted, you know, personal communication, in-person work, high frequency of contact. Absolutely, statistically, those are the things we should all pursue more of. But it definitely doesn't give an imperial formula for this is what you must do. We all know clients where it's just the right time. There's a lot of self-motivation. They've carved out the space in their, their, their just weekly schedule, their daily schedule to do the things necessary to even mentally focus on it. All kinds of things come into play. But the interesting part about this study is that since it was all about the coach's perspective of these things, I can tell you from my perspective, it is fascinating and amazing and fantastic that coaches understand it is this deep of a dive. Uh, Again, three people in the interviews, 14 in the surveys. If you look back at Rosemary's research from two weeks ago, uh, you know, she dealt with almost a hundred coaches, um, you know, and, and clients, I should say, combined that was from the client perspective. So we, we have a, a very fine point on one end and a broadening part of the funnel as to how many people were communicated with on the client side, what their perceptions were and, and their actual quantitative data and results. But with with four looks at these two studies, I'm going to stop sharing the screen here. I would just uh, ask you guys if you have any thoughts or questions, um, anything that stands out as to like, yes, that definitely has helped me or, um, you know, I've worked with people that that hasn't. Uh, I'll, I'll give you one, one quick example while you're thinking about this. Anybody who has a thought or question, just be ready to unmute and, and jump in. But, but this person I just two hours ago had coffee with and just met him for the first time he sat back and he said, Hey, do you know, so-and-so like I worked with him here locally as a personal trainer. And I said, of course, like, I love that guy. He's great. Just, just fun guy. He just, man, you know what? His attitude was everything. He said, he was just always so helpful. Uh, he was always so fun. Uh, you know, he, he described all of these points about this personal trainer that just came back to accessibility, in a humanness. Uh, it wasn't just this very mechanical process. And I don't even know if this personal trainer delved into nutrition coaching. I- I'm sure there was at least some discussion of those things because most people even go to a trainer, like that's what they want, is everything. Um, but anyway, just it's just as an aside, you know, even meeting this guy a couple hours ago for the first time. The first thing he wanted to tell me was kind of relating somebody he knows in my field. And this is why it worked really well. This is, this is why this was a good fit for me. And I did good work with him. He didn't tell me anything about the objective approach. He didn't say we did this and we checked these boxes. All he talked about was how that coach cared about him, how that personal trainer made him feel. And isn't that amazing? Like we, we hear that in such cliche memeish ways, um, but it's reality. Kevin, you look like you're gonna jump in.
1: Just waiting for Layla to start barking. getting up because I'm talking. But, hmm. but uh, it's not all surprising. To some degree, it's a, you know just based on your last point there. It is frustrating because. You know, I could have saved myself 12 years of education if I can just smile and talk to people. Um, I know it's far more than that, and it's oversimplifying it on every degree. But the saying is, you know, it's not so much about what you know, just to know, just to just get people, just let people know that you care about them rather than just knowing what to say or what to do for them. But just to know that they're appreciated. I and mean, that's why the cliche of going into healthcare. That's why I did. Um, Reason why I left primary care for a large reason is because it would have been um, robotic if I had just went through the motions and I don't, for an introvert, I don't, I want the I want the meaningful conversations that truly impact people. So here we are. So it's not all surprising if anything it validates what we practice to begin with but this these are the standards and that was the whole discussion when you brought this brought these ideas forth as far as what you study but you know if this if this is what's validated by evidence and interviews then this needs to be the standard amongst you know nutrition coaches alike as and therefore you know if you you expect to have the best results not to mention best uh, relationships you need to perform this way and um and go from there but it's you know i pride myself on being extremely accessible to clients to students i know they appreciate that because it's well noted within reviews about myself but while that can be draining at times just because we all have that limit on capacity it's it's not I'm not going to change it for, for that reason I'm still just going to be just as accessible because I know they appreciate it when they need it and that's everything often well, usually always is
0: and don't don't make the mistake of thinking that it's either or in terms of the personal yeah. touch versus education because it was also well noted in this research and beyond some of the studies they cited that the people with the greatest education, did have the best results. Like and and it was appreciated among the, the clients that the the core knowledge was there. And I think just in terms of competition in the marketplace, that also gets well noted and the cream rises to the top. Because if you're even if you're the nicest coach in the world, but you truly don't have the competence or the ability to help, you know, those people aren't necessarily going to do as well. And they're going to find coaches who do and you tend to aggregate around those. So um, I, I also mentioned to this person I met, I said, you know, I can only spend a certain amount of time in like personal work with clients in my facility, but I still do it because I love it. Like I could quote, make more money doing other things. I could retire. I could do this. I could do that. But I love that. Like, I love that personal connection. I love the fact that because I know it's almost a guarantee in that kind of scenario that we do make those life changes with clients and for clients. Um, But I also, I am a bit overqualified. Like if I'm going to be training a person in a personal training capacity, like you think of all the people who could do that. I'm an orthopedic physical therapist. I'm a science editor. I have two PhDs. I have, you know, like, like, and I'm, and I'm here, helping you work out. You could go pay somebody 20 bucks an hour for that. So it is because I care, but I think I also bring to the table some competencies that my clients may not get other places. So, yeah, I I think you need to take the people who are super, super well-educated and they love science. They have their master's degree in this and all that. And maybe you need to infuse them with a little bit higher doses of charisma and empathy and human connection. But then you also need all those people who have those skills and say, Hey, you guys better know the core competencies here. So what, well said there, Kevin.
1: Another team-based approach to patient management, as far as how I see it, it's, you know, it's, it is better to have that team-based approach for, you know, with the client or patient at the center of it, because they are. Um, and that's what we, that's what we're doing here after all. So, Yeah, there
0: there is, I've never heard it described this way, but I started listening to this cognitive psychologist, John Verbake. and in this huge, huge 50-part series, video series he has, he talks about distributed cognition and the fact that we all do better as a group than any of us singularly alone. So if you're skill set includes just charisma, human touch, and so forth. And somebody else is kind of the sciency nerd who brings that aspect to the company. And like, we, we can all create these larger organisms of people, collective people. And as a team, we do better. That's for sure. Um, so yeah, another good point. All right. Well, I will let you guys go with that today. This concludes this four part series. I have to go review now that we're seven parts deep into diet efficacy, see if there's anything else we want to pull in to tie up this series, but we are already moving in past the beginning of November. Pretty soon we're going to be into the holidays. So there will be a point in time very, very soon where we just kind of call a timeout till the end of the year. Uh, Those of you who are clients and coaches, that are with us three days a week we will keep the private sessions going the mondays and wednesdays you know just until it is completely interfered by holidays here and there sporadically Uh, but this particular session will probably put on pause for maybe the last month or so of the year last six weeks so anybody who watches this on our youtube channel or something like that and you're looking for these to happen every single friday please keep a note, maybe follow me on Facebook or Instagram and, and note, I'll always announce when we're having these and what the topic is. Um, so if you don't see anything on a Friday, it's just not happening that Friday. So always check that. So you guys have a great rest of your Friday. If you're watching this on the playback, whenever I hope you're having a great day and I'll see you next time.